Hello, listeners. We wanted to let you know that the upcoming episode does contain spoilers for the film Roma. In fact, the upcoming trigger warning is going to include a spoiler. So if you haven't seen the film yet, be warned. Maybe pause here and go watch it first. Trigger warning. There is a character in this film who loses a pregnancy. She gives birth to a stillborn child. This does come up a few times in our discussion, so we wanted to let you know in case that's a sensitive topic for anyone. Thank you for listening. Somos Real Latinas. Bienvenidos to the Real Latinas Takeover. We are your humble hosts this time instead of Ismael Guti and Ron. You are getting Yoli and Ev. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hi. So yeah, so I'm so excited to be here with you tonight um, talking about Roma, the 2018 film by Alfonso Cuaron. Fantastic film, one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, how are you feeling tonight, Ev? I'm feeling very emotional. Yeah. I hear yeah. you. It's, it's an emotional movie, 100%. It, it really is. If, um, yeah, if you don't feel anything, you're a monster, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yeah, so excited to talk about this film. Also, just super honored and grateful that the Real Latinos Boys invited us on to talk about this movie. Um, Ron brought it up to me a few months ago and basically kind of said that, you know, instead of having like another three guys talking about this film that they wouldn't mind having like a female perspective. Um, so he reached out to me, obviously he reached out to you and I'm, yeah, I'm just super grateful for this opportunity and that, that the boys trust us enough to kind of take over their podcast for an episode. I think that's pretty special. So thank you to them for allowing us to do this. Thank you. This is my first time and I'm a little nervous. So yeah, thank you so much guys for trusting us. But that is exciting too. This is like your first podcast experience, eh? So it's yeah. something quite special. <laughs> Indeed. You're amazing. Oh my God. You're amazing. Oh my God. I'm like blushing. <laughs> like you're so good. Like, whoa. Okay, I got this. Dios mio. I mean, I have to deal with Cablasto normally. So <laughs> this is going to be this is gonna be a piece of cake, I'm sure. Cablasto is fun. <laughs> Kikobasto <laughs> is fun. All right, so let's see. All right, we introduced ourselves. Oh, I guess I should say as far as us, you know, being as far as us being a real Latinas takeover. Um, so the guys actually had me on their podcast a few months ago for their La Bamba episode. So if you heard that, you probably already know that I am a Mexican American. So both of my parents are from Mexico. My mom's from Tijuana and my dad's from Jalisco, and my sister and I are both first generation born here in the States. So that is my background as far as being a Latina. And then what what about you, Ed? Would you like to just say a, a bit about yourself in that respect? Sure. Um, I'm El Salvadorian, but culturally I'm Mexican. I grew up with a lot of Mexican people, so I consider myself Mexican. I hope that's okay. <laughs> of course. We welcome you with open arms. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, no, I love la cultura and everything. All right, so you're an El Salvadorian who identifies as a Mexicana. Is that, is that the gist of it? <laughs> yeah. No offense to my Sawi peeps. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Yeah, I'm first generation. And um, yeah, 
yeah, this is exciting. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope we can do this movie justice. I feel a little nervous about it because I do, like, I love the, the film so much and I, you know, want to do a good job for, for our friends and for our Cinemigo friends. So, yeah, just hoping this goes well tonight. So why don't we start? We can just dive right in because there's a lot to unpack with it, with this film. So I know the guys usually kind of go around and they'll kind of say a bit about you know, their own personal background with the film and or filmmaker, or, you know, they might say a word or two about their first um, time viewing this, you know, whatever particular film they're discussing. So I thought maybe we could start there, if that sounds okay with you. Yes, you're the expert. I trust you. <laughs> uh, I'm hardly the expert, but I'm definitely a fan of the Real Latinos podcast. So I'm trying to do justice to their normal format as much as possible. So would you want to go ahead and get started and tell us a bit either about your first time watching this film or maybe just your experience with um, Alfonso Cuaron as a, as a filmmaker and how you, if you'd like his movies or not, or I don't know, whatever you're feeling. The floor is sure. yours. <laughs> um, thank you. So I first watched this movie when the 70 millimeter guys covered it, I don't know, a year or two ago. That's right. They did a great episode on it. They did. Um, I don't remember watching it, though, until I rewatched it recently. And I think I blocked it out because it made me think of my mother, who's been dead for like over a decade. Mm. So I think that's why I blocked it out. Mm-hmm. But I'm in a better place now. So it was actually really sweet to watch it and like think about her and good memories and everything. Um, yeah. Cool. I'm glad you had um, what sounds like a better experience this time around. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely the type of film that kind of tugs on your heartstrings and can kind of pull on your emotions um, in several several different ways. But yeah, I can totally see how it might bring up some feelings of missing your mom and that sort of thing. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Um, yeah, so I watched it, I guess, how many years ago was that? Maybe like a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Yeah, a year and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, a lot of things have changed since I watched it. So I did not cry when I watched it this time <laughs> surprisingly yeah um, yeah no but it uh, oh yeah no I have a joke for you oh, okay so um I know Itu Mama Tambien is one of your favorite movies it is it is I love it too <laughs> that's another film by Alfonso Cuaron for our listeners in case they're not already aware just FYI yes um but what do you prefer Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Asiban or Itu Mama Tambien Hmm. I mean, I am a pretty huge Harry Potter fan, but I definitely have to go Itu Mama Tambien. I knew it. Maybe that wasn't <laughs> a funny joke. Uh, no, it, it, that's awesome. I love it. So yeah. <laughs> well, on that note, actually, so my background with this film, with Roma and my first time viewing it, it was it was a night where, you know, I think I had already like watched whatever I was going to watch that night and I was kind of winding down. I think I just wanted to throw something on to kind of zone out on before going to bed. So I was just kind of, you know, I, t- I turned on Netflix and I was just like poking around and it must have either dropped that day or maybe like the day before because it was, you know, predominantly displayed on the Netflix main page. And I remember seeing this thumbnail because um, I knew nothing about this movie, but I literally was like, just cruising Netflix and I saw this little, you know, I think it was like the little black and white thumbnail that said the title Roma in yellow. And I was just kind of like, what's that? Like it caught my eye for whatever mm-hmm. reason. So I just kind of threw it on. And again, it was kind of like, I think I was already kind of tired. It was before bed, but I remember I put it on and, you know, that opening scene where we just, you know, first you see the tiles and then you kind of see like the water starting to kind of slosh through with the waves. And then there's like that puddle that kind of reflects like a plane in the sky, but it's all kind of really slow 
slow going and like the title credits are kind of starting to appear over this this background of the wet tiles. Um, And it's, you know, it is kind of a slow opening, slow paced, but I remember just being like immediately captivated and enthralled by these like pristine black and white visuals that I was seeing and like the the gentle sloshing of the water. Like it's almost silent to begin with, but Mm -hmm. then you start to hear the water and some of the other like ambient, like background morning noises, you know, as more Mm -hmm. scenery is kind of slowly revealed as to what we're looking at and like from that moment you know on from the the minute the the credits started rolling um i was just compelled throughout this entire film i remember i watched the whole thing despite it being kind of late or whatever the situation was and being just really blown away by it and i had no idea that it was you know who the filmmaker was and i had no idea that it was the same filmmaker who had made one you know i was already a huge fan of itumama thangbian which came out in i think 2001 i want to say and i i was like i was still in college maybe 20 years old i remember seeing it in the theater and like just falling in love with that movie and it was like easily one of my favorites but i had no idea that the same filmmaker made this from a movie and i kind of figure that out like later down the line and I was just like holy crap like no not not exactly no wonder why I like it but just it made sense that you know this is the same filmmaker who made one of my other favorite movies and just it all kind of made sense to me and I was just like wow this guy is amazing and this movie is amazing and yeah the rest is history pretty much so that's that's kind of my background with Roma and my, my first time watching it. That's beautiful. (laughs) So I guess we can move on to, you know, I know Guti likes to give a film background. So I've got a few notes on that prepared. And then um, I believe you prepared us a little synopsis uh, to read. So, but, so I'll go ahead and I will just say a bit about the film's background, the film itself. Here's a bit about Roma. Roma is a 2018 film, a drama, written and directed by Alfonso Cuaron, who also produced, shot, and co-edited it. It's set in the years of 1970 and 1971, and Roma follows the life of a live-in indigenous Mixteco housekeeper of an upper-middle-class Mexican family. Roma is a semi-autobiographical take on Cuaron's upbringing in the Colonia Roma neighborhood of Mexico City. The film stars Yalitza Aparicio and Marina de Tavira, in the leading roles, hopefully I said those names correctly, apologies if I did it, and it is an international co-production between Mexico and the United States. Roma received a number of accolades with 10 nominations at the 91st Academy Awards, along with them Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Actress for Aparecio, and Best Supporting Actress for De Tavira. It became the first Mexican entry to win Best Foreign Language Film and also won for Best Cinematography and Best Director, becoming the first foreign language film to win in that last category of Best Director, as well as marking the first time a director won Best Cinematography for their own film. So that's kind of interesting and cool. Cuaron started the production of Roma with no script, and his focus was on recreating the sensory parts derived from his memories. So not just events or things that happened, but rather small details about the look and feel of the environment, you know, the house, little decorations that were in it and things like that. And the lead character, Cleo, is based on a woman named Libo, who is Cuaron's own family nanny growing up. So there you go. There's a little bit of background info on the film. And now I'm going to turn it over to Ev to give us a synopsis. Um, so I have, um, Sophia and Cleo are two women from different worlds, yet their lives are peril, can't say that word, paralleling, um, each other's, how so? Their children's fathers have left, they see them again, the world is crumbling beneath their feet, 
that's it. So short and so sorry. Short and sweet is perfect. Yeah, and we're going to get into it, so I'm sure there'll more plot points will be revealed <laughs> as we discuss. Oh, I have notes. I just, yeah. <laughs> You're well prepared. I like it. All right, so, you know, I know the guys usually go around, uh, and there's three of them, you know, the, the three real Latinos hosts, and they usually say about three points each, you know, just points about the film or themes about the film they want to discuss. Um, but since there's just two of us, we're going to go ahead and pick out four points to discuss, and, you know, there might be some overlap. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to get into it and uh, get into this film. So would you like to kick us off and talk about your first point? I'd like to follow. Okay, you want me to get things going? All right, so one of my first things, which I kind of already briefly touched on, is uh, the pacing of the film, which kind of gets set from that that slow opening, you know, that opening credit sequence with the tiles and the the washing mm-hmm. of the driveway, which I which I already mentioned, and that really kind of sets the tone for you know the remainder of the film. But you know, when I say that it's it's slow going, like I I mean that in a good way, like in a slow burn kind of way. I don't know if slow burn is even really the, the right term, but uh, meaning it's it's not that it's boring or that it's dragging or anything like that. If anything, just the opposite. There's something about that like calm, relaxed pace that really kind of draws you in as like the lives of these characters kind of unfold. And uh, some of the camera work in this, which I, w- I don't think I was even really aware of it the first couple times I watched it, but, but on this more recent rewatch, just some of that just kind of slow panning, you know, along the rooms of the house or, you know, just gl- the camera gliding across like whatever the scene or the setting is and the characters kind of just existing and moving within that framework mm-hmm. and it's just it's that pristine black and white photography so you know it was filmed in black and mm-hmm. white but it was still like you know a 4k film type situation um and guardian even talks about how like you know he didn't want to have that look of like you know that graininess like you're watching some sort of old film or like this kind of like obvious flashback type thing and it's like okay it's in black and white because it's this like snapshot of this like place and time that yes is from history is from the early 70s but he wanted it to have that pristine black and white look so it's like yeah it's a scene from the past but it's like you feel like you're there like you're in it or maybe like you're a fly on the wall just witnessing this moment in time of these people's lives and I just think it's really an incredible choice to make to kind of do it that way um I think it looks really beautiful between the photography and just um again just how these characters kind of exist and their lives kind of unfold and the situations kind of slowly unravel and unfold but in this really kind of compelling captivating way you know and it's not super plot driven per se it's I mean things happen obviously and things are connected and there is like a story there that you know that progresses um as we you know as we follow Cleo and she winds up getting pregnant and and that whole thing Mm -hmm. but yeah I just kind of wanted to touch on obviously like the beautiful look of the film and also just like the choices that the filmmaker made in terms of like the pacing and how even though some might describe it as slow it's still just so beautiful and captivating so I don't know if you want to if you have any thoughts on that as well oh yeah I yeah I completely agree I thought it was so beautiful how you're just like an observer Mm -hmm. and like you get that they were acting continuously yeah and it but it feels so authentic yeah yes yes yeah no i loved that you know that water scene Mm. the beginning and it kind of just pulls you in and i do like to stop and like see the beauty oh my earphones are gonna die (laughs) Uh oh Um, I do love to stop and see the beauty of things like, oh, wow, you know, the flowers are dancing, you know, yeah, the wind's blowing. So I really love that. And it also made me think of this movie, 
Jean Dioman. Hmm. I don't think I'm saying that right. But it's like the French movie. Have you watched that one? No, I think I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. I'm like vaguely aware of it. Tell us about it. I'd love to tell you the whole title, but I don't want to butcher it. Um, (laughs) But it's about like this housewife. And I think it was in the 1970s. And like she's cutting potatoes. And the scenes are long, and it's like, oh, wow, it's, like, continuous, like, just cutting, it's slow. People were saying how boring it was, or, you know, asking, like, oh, did it stop? Is it paused? Like, you go along the journey, and you pick up their habits and everything. Right, right. It made me think of um, that movie. I was also thinking of The Fablemans, and this was done so much better. Oh, nice. I haven't seen that one either, but I will take your word for it. It did make me cry. Oh. <laughs> well, okay. So, what, what what point would you like to discuss next, or what's something that stood out to you that you'd like that you'd like to bring up for our chat? Um, I'm gonna go with number two. Well, I guess. <laughs> oh, you can point. go in whatever order of your of your points. It's oh, no biggie. <laughs> okay. Um, the music. Mm, yeah, that's one of oh my two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, you have the record, I think. I do. Yeah, it's a be- it's a beautiful double LP with like gatefold vinyl. You know, you open up the thing and it's this beautiful shot from like the movie of Cleo like running mm. in front of the storefronts and uh, yeah, the music's great. But go on. You you tell me your side of it. Oh, um so fortunately, like I don't know any of the artists that my mom liked and would play around the house. Mm. So I can't really look them up, yeah. but some of these songs were songs that my mom would sing. Oh, so wow. that was really sweet and touching, and mm, that's just so cool. Like she grew up in the seventies, like she was a mom in the seventies, like mid seventies, with my older siblings. Gotcha. Yeah, like she would sing those songs, and it just—it was like a warm hug. Mm. Just listening to it. Oh, it's like, so oh, cool. now I know the artist or even the Pio Pio, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it was really beautiful. I loved it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, the music is, is definitely one of my favorite things about this film as well. Um, the music and the sound design is really incredible. Mm. And all, like, it's crazy the fact that there's no actual score. Um, so, you know, just to clarify, like a movie score is usually like there's a composer that comes in and will literally like compose original music that kind of fits in with the scenes of like the movie that you're watching um, versus a sound soundtrack which is like hand-picked songs that already exist to kind of either just also be in the background of a scene or you know maybe play on the radio or, or whatever the characters are doing in the movie um but so in this case Guadon made the the choice to have no actual score so no like original music composition for the background and the score of this film kind of winds up being like literally like the sound design which so much care went into like um I was watching that documentary on the Criterion Blu-ray Road to Roma um along with some other little special features they actually have a special feature devoted to um both the cinematography and then one for the sound design oh wow yeah and like so much care and time and precision went into constructing like these audios and like not even just the main characters but like these background audios of like either background characters talking or like the ambient sounds of like you know the birds chirping in the cages or like the neighborhood dogs like barking like you know and you can hear the Mm -hmm. echoes throughout the neighborhood like some of the audio files had like over a thousand tracks on them or something but and they were all like hand-picked and like it's just it was phenomenal I was like wow like watching the special feature going like like, like who like I it sounds so natural you know like as these like yeah. scenes unfold and 
and even like when it is like more you know scenes in the public spaces like at the movie theaters or whatever and there's like a lot of background characters having their own conversations like apparently um uh alfonso cuaron didn't want to just have that like wah wah like generic kind of din in the background of people just like murmuring like like not really saying anything like he actually scripted out like say 20 different conversations for each different you know background character background couple or whatever and that they were like literally like reciting these lines and having like actual conversations even though it was like super in the background of you know the sound design or whatever so like details like that I just have so much respect for his filmmaking and his decisions to do things this way because I think it really adds to like the authenticity that comes across in this film and that you really do feel like you're really transported to this place and time and like what you're watching is real and I think that's why it has such a strong impact on people and why it is so compelling because of that authenticity and um, just the care that went into something like that the sound design anyway I didn't mean to go off on such a tangent about that but I just thought it was really cool but to your point uh the actual soundtrack like the songs that he picked out which which were from the you know the, the early 70s obviously there's some really great uh really great jams on the soundtrack and I also really like in the movie how Cleo is singing along you know she's she'll be like cleaning or getting things ready in the morning for the family and she'll be like singing along to the radio she sings that song, Te Prometido, by Leo Dan. Te prometido que te de olvidar Cuanto has querido yo te supe dar Solo y herido así me dejas Sabiendo que mañana irás con otro al altar. And uh, I think later when she's up on the roof hanging clothes before, you know, the boys run up there and start playing and fighting or whatever, she's singing along to No Tengo Dinero by Juan Gabriel. No tengo dinero, ni nada que dar. Lo único que tengo es amor para amar. Si así tú me quieres, te puedo querer. Pero si no puedes, ni modo que hacer. And they're just they're super catchy, fun songs. And like they're really kind of just in the background in the movie. But like those particular two songs, like Cleo is like the housekeeper. Um, she's doing her work and she's just like singing along to the radio as like so many of us do. Right. Like you turn on some tunes when you have to do like your cleaning or your, your, your chores or like whatever. And like um, just kind of cool to see that reflected and also to see like the music incorporated in that way where it's not like in your face. But it's kind of just, again, this snapshot of like what was really what it was really like at that time and like what was on the radio airwaves and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that was the music and sound design was one of my points as well. Um, so that overlapped nicely with your point. So why don't you go ahead and give us your next point, if you're okay with that. 
Oh, um, so I just wanted to add about like the sound and everything. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, um, I just loved all the dogs barking like in the background, yes. you know, and like the birds and the chitter chatter and yeah. yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. I need so to watch good. the road on the road to Roma. Yeah. And if you don't have the Blu-ray, I think it's actually also on Netflix. So Netflix has the film and it has the road to Roma documentary. Um, so you could probably okay. find it on there. If you're yeah, interested. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. But that's funny because that was in my notes. <laughs> like the sound design and not just the music. Oh, gotcha, but, gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page and enjoying the same stuff. That's pretty cool. What else should we get into? What's what's another point you'd like to discuss? I fell in love with the kids. Yes, they're amazing. And a lot of these actors weren't even really actors. They're like just, you know, authentic people that the filmmakers found yeah i think that's so cool and they didn't have like a regular script mm-hmm. it was just like their own lines for the day yeah i thought uh the character of beppe the youngest son that that kid gave an incredible performance i believe his name's marco graf and i i don't think he's actually an actor you know i looked him up on letterbox and he the only film that he's credited in is uh roma so i think that's probably just someone that Quadron found and thought fit the role and he cast cast i think but the, the woman who played the mom, Sofia Marina de Tavira, I think she was the only actual actress, um, like, you know, trained actress or whatever. And I think the majority of the rest of the cast were just like normal people, which is kind of wild. But yeah, the, the actors. Absolutely. Tell me more. Oh, but yes, the children um, they are so believable and like they're fighting and like. Cursing at each other in Spanish. <laughs> I would not allow my children to do that. But it was so realistic, the family dynamic. For sure. I'm going to move forward a little. But when they went to the movies and the boys were like, no, I just want to go, you know, with my brother. And it's like, well, we all have to go. Or, you know, no one goes. And it's like, well, that sucks. <laughs> it was so darling. Um but also just like the relationship that they have with Gleo. Oh, I know. So sweet. Yes. And there's that whole dynamic of like, yes, she does work for them. But she's also family. Yeah. Then they kind of, mom will put her, quote unquote, like in her place in a way. Right. Or like takes out her anger. But then when Cleo gets pregnant, mom's there to help her. And when Antonio leaves else there so i kind of wanted to say fuck man and watching this (laughs) while watching this movie and just life in general but um just like i love how they're both so different but they are going through the same thing and that they're there for each other Mm -hmm. and putting their differences like you know to the side like supporting and loving one another right yeah it's so beautiful so beautiful and it just made me think like how much I love women and it's not perfect but um when Cleo finds out she's pregnant and she tells Sophia she's like very timid and quiet about it like oh no I'm gonna get fired like that was such a beautiful scene I know I love that too and she's like what no I'm not gonna fire you we have to take you to the doctor (laughs) yeah oh my goodness sorry for jumping around people but I was just thinking about that. Like, it's so beautiful. And that's, like, the relationship and family dynamic. But also, is it, they don't, doesn't 
feel like they think of, of Cleo as disposable. Right. No. Well, it's like you said, it's like she's part of the family. Like, yeah, she's technically, you know, a nanny, a housekeeper, a domestic worker, but she literally, you know, she lives on the property. It's like, you know, her and the other girl have their own little like apartment, but they're on the same property and they're there first thing in the morning, you know, getting the kids up, getting them dressed and she's there tucking them in and singing them lullabies and like rubbing their backs. And then they love her and they, they tell her like, I love you. And, you know, and she'll sit, she's clearing the dinner dishes and she'll sit and watch TV with them and like laugh and enjoy that time with the family. Cause yeah, I mean, she is part of it. Yes. When she, she kept telling them like, Oh, mis niños, mis niños. Like you don't just mm-hmm. say that, you know, like she really does love them. She really thinks of them as her own, you know, and takes care of them and gives them that, that, that type of real love which is really incredible yeah yeah just like I love the kids family dynamic absolutely so then so I'll I'll play off that to what you were talking about to go into my next point since you're kind of touching on you know the women relationships and that sort of thing so I just wanted to bring up the the theme of women being truly on their own um you know both Sophia the, the, the mother of, of the family and, and Cleo, they're both abandoned, you know, Sophia by her husband mm-hmm. and then Cleo by Fermin, uh, her, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if it's even fair to call him a boyfriend, but the, you know, the guy she was dating and whatever. And, uh, mm-hmm. and there's, you know, the, later, again, later in the film, we are jumping around a bit, um, you know, Sophia comes home she's kind of a little bit drunk as we see as as the scene progresses but you know she's drunk and she's kind of speaking openly and honestly so she gets home and she you know she sees Cleo there like waiting at the door and she tells her estamos solas you know and she says no matter what they tell you no matter what they tell you we women are always alone alone. and I think there's a lot of truth to that I'm not going to say it's 100% the case always and I know there's good men out there and you know and that sort Mm -hmm. of thing but you know and especially in this time and place you know in 1970 or 1971 Mm -hmm. and in Mexico and there's machismo there's that whole other thing you know guys can have a harem of side dishes but you know the women better not and they better be in the house cooking and cleaning and taking care of the kids and you know that whole dynamic where and you know a lot of these guys like don't give a crap or you know they're not really there for the family or they're stepping out on their woman or or in this case you know he abandons her to take off with his mistress and he doesn't even Mm -hmm. call the kids or send them money or you know anything like that and it's like yeah you know the women they they slave and they give up so much of themselves they make so much sacrifices for their kids and their husbands and their families and in the end it's like they're abandoned and they wind up alone and again that's not always the case but it's you know at the same time it's also a tale as old as time in many ways Mm -hmm. And to your point, yeah, also the women friendships in this film are also stand out to me. Um, like you were talking about the that there's this friendship and this mutual respect between Sophia and Cleo, even though they are, you know, employer and employee, that obviously mm-hmm. Cleo's more than just an employee. She's also part of the family. And so her and, you know, Sophia all have this dynamic that, like you said, like Cleo went to her and was like so timid and ashamed to say like I'm embarrassed or to say I'm, you know, I'm pregnant and, you know, Sophia was like, well, let's get, we better get you to the doctor. And, you know, she takes care of her, Mm -hmm. almost like she's Mm -hmm. like her mother, you know, or a sister or something like that. And, and, like, it's so beautiful the way she just, like, without batting an eye, steps up and was like, of course, we're not going to fire you. Like, let me take you to the doctor and get you taken care of. And, like, yeah, she, she is really, like, there for her um or even something like cleo and the other the other domestic worker in the house her friend i think her name's adele and they're both you know they both speak to each other in mm-hmm. mystic because they're from the same 
yeah. uh, Pueblo and stuff like that. Um, but like that dynamic, um, the way they also yeah. take care of each other and they're there for each other. And, you know, it's just there's so many beautiful female friendships and female relationships uh, throughout this film that are definitely worth noting. And it's definitely something to celebrate because, you know, unfortunately, you don't always see women supporting other women. But so it's just mm-hmm. so nice and refreshing when you do see these kinds of relationships and just women being there for each other when, when, they, when they're really needed the most or when the men in their lives have abandoned them and that sort of thing. So yeah, I just wanted to say a bit about that and it seemed like a good transition from what you were also saying, talking about the family dynamic and the relationship between the two of them. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I recently went to California and I stayed with you. Yes, yeah, we had so much fun. It's the best weekend. (laughs) Thank you. I wasn't feeling 100%, so I felt bad. But um, just like- You're great. How you like- for taking care of me and I thought like I felt so loved oh good and, like I've never met you in real life until like a week yeah, or two ago it was our first it was just time so meeting. amazing <laughs> so, like when I rewatched this I just kept thinking about you and I was like oh like women are so amazing and we're so loving and so giving and yeah thank you so much and I just kept thinking oh, so about sweet. you when I was watching this <laughs> Yeah, it's true. You're going to make me cry. like, (laughs) vacation. Oh, my gosh. No, it's true. Like, I, yeah, I'm not going to tell you, but something's coming your way. But, um, no, it's true. And, like, it wasn't any of, like, you're better than me, I'm better than you. It was like, Mm. no, like, hey, we're going to talk and share and be loving. And it was so beautiful. And I felt so cared for. And I hope you felt cared for, cared for, but, um, that was so beautiful. Um, Oh, that makes, that makes my heart so happy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) It's true. It's so true, but just like, it's so beautiful. And thank you. I love you. Oh, I love you too. Um, oh, but I did put in my notes, um, when they went to La Hacienda, I think, and there was, I guess, um, Oh my gosh, uh, my notes are messy. <laughs> but Cleo's um like old friend, mm-hmm. I guess like since she's known her, I guess before she moved to the city. Yeah. She was she had a joke like when <laughs> Cleo was carrying all the suitcases, right? Yeah. And she's like, "Hey, are you sure you should be carrying all those?" And uh, Cleo's like, "I'm pregnant, not sick." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I wrote that down. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was so funny because the doctors did tell her like take it easy <laughs> still doing all the things still doing everything like always willing to take mm-hmm. on more yeah women are fucking strong yeah and, but also Sophia like some people would say why would you lie to your kids but she was holding her shit down yeah and I'm sure she was you know trying to protect them protect yes yeah to protect them love on them yeah and she was angry and sad, and she, you know, took it out on Cleo and her right. older son, who I can't remember his name. Paco or Tonio? One of those guys. I think it might be Tonio. Okay. I think Paco's the... The, like, middle middle son? Like, the third one. Okay. Gotcha. I know, I know yeah. Beppe is the youngest one. <laughs> the one yeah, who talks Beppe's about his, his past lives, and he's super adorable. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He's so <laughs> damn cute. Like, so he would say, like, oh, when I was older and yeah. I was a sailor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh my I fell in love with him. 
Yeah, well, you know, and you bringing up um, Sophia when, like you said, she gets, she catches uh, her son uh, eavesdropping when she's on the phone with, with her husband or whatever. And yeah, and then Cleo's also there because she had just happened to come down. It's not like she was allowing him to eavesdrop. It's like it all kind of happened at the same time. And then, you know, Sophia comes out and catches him. And like you said, she gets pissed. Uh, she, she slaps her son, which is obviously not okay. Mm-hmm. Like it's abusive behavior. It's not excusable. But you know, you also, you know, like she's just been in the other room on the phone with her husband or I guess her ex-husband technically since he left her. Um, her life is falling apart. She's got these four kids. She's so stressed. Like, again, none of this excuses anything. But when you kind of take a step back and witness the whole scenario of what's happening, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, someone on the outside is going to look in and say like, oh, that woman's freaking crazy. She's smacking her kid. She's yelling at her housekeeper for no reason. And it's like, well, no, I mean, like, it's not acceptable behavior, but we can kind of take a look and see like why she's acting this way, what she's going through and the type of emotional and mental place that she's in that, yeah, like it's not okay, but understandable why she would be lashing out at people, you know, her children and at Cleo and whatever. And it's like one of those things where it's like, no, like women aren't just crazy. Like, if they're acting quote unquote crazy or doing behaviors that are like unacceptable like what got them to that place like what drove them to that like what is going on in their life and their experience how have they been abandoned and let down to get them to that place where they would lash out that way and I think the context Mm -hmm. is so important and it's just like it's such a gray area it's not just black and white right or wrong that's bad you shouldn't do that it's like what drove her to that point and you know and I think it's just something that should be acknowledged like not even in the just this scenario but in general especially when people want to write women off as crazy or acting crazy which mm-hmm. I freaking hate to hear that sort of thing because it's like well let's dig yeah. a little deeper and see why she's acting so quote-unquote crazy you know what I mean oh I totally know what you mean <laughs> yeah I'm sure we've all been there I'm sure we've all acted a little crazy you know but it's like well what got us there you know mm-hmm. oh well said Yoli well said um, so circling back to the beginning, I'm sorry. No, you're good. I'm new to you're this. good. Um, but when Antonio tells her that she, that he has to go somewhere for work, right? Mm-hmm. Which we discover later on that it's a fucking lie. Yeah. Um, the way she kisses him, he just doesn't react. Yeah. It's like she knew she knew he was going like he did go on that work trip for for like a week, but like it's like she knew there was gonna be more to it. She knew he wasn't coming back. Yes. Yeah. And that, that was, scene oh. Yeah, it's like oh. she's like pleading in a like not verbally, but like with her eyes, with her body, with her behavior, pleading for mm-hmm. him not to leave, you know. But he does and it's it's such a heartbreaking scene. Yeah. And then she lashes out Uckleo with about mm-hmm. the dog shit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but I'm laughing. Yeah, and it's not about Cleo or the dog shit. It's about her husband's leaving her, you know, and he and he stepped in the poop and she's just like, what else can go wrong to make my husband not want to stay here with us? And like, that's really what it was about. You know, it's like she wasn't just getting pissed over the dog poop for the hell of it or whatever. Yeah. Oh, I wrote down in my notes, poor Cleo taking the of not just everything but anger as well yeah definitely she's definitely kind of almost like a punching bag that's around at times um yeah in the beginning mm-hmm. or so yeah do you have another point you'd like to mention so i would like to talk about Furman, mm. which i 
or Fermin. Fermin. I like to, <laughs> I like to call him Vermin. Oh, I like that. Yeah, God, he's so oh, awful. Because, um, he's so freaking horrible. I'm an asshole, or I don't know, but he's Vermin. <laughs> um, yeah, and also Antonio. So in the beginning, it's like, oh wait, am I gonna see these guys again? Are they completely gone? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I'll start from the beginning. So she meets Edmine mm-hmm. because that's her friend's boyfriend's cousin. Yeah. Right. Yep. And um, he tells her something about, like, oh, I was lost, but, like, I have focus, especially when I see you. And I was like, oh, God, I want to kick him in the face. Yeah. He's laying it on real thick, huh? <laughs> yeah, but, like, she she believes him, you yeah. know? And we don't know, at this point, as a viewer, we also don't know what a jerk he's going to be. We just see him, mm-hmm. see him saying these sweet we things don't to don't Yeah. Oh man, but we he comes across what two more times? Yeah. Two more times. Yeah, he definitely comes back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so they end up having sex and she gets pregnant. And um oh wow, I was amazed. Um that she was like, Oh, it's been I've been late for three months and it's like, Oh yeah, honey, you're pregnant. <laughs> Yeah. But also, she doesn't know any better, you know? Yeah, she's, she's like, not, like, naive. A, yeah, she's not, like, a city girl, and she's, like, trusting, and that's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, But they go out to the movies, and they're, he's, like, kissing her, you know, and then she tells him, like, well, I'm late. And he mm-hmm. keeps kissing her, and she's like, well, I'm pregnant. And he's like, oh. Oh. And um, he's like, oh, I have to use the bathroom. And he gets up and goes to the bathroom. And they're watching a movie and it's about to end. And she's like, hey, it's going to end. Stay. So you don't know if he's going to come back or not. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of thought like, oh, he's going to bounce. Yeah. And you were right, weren't you? Because <laughs> he, he does not right. return. He does not return. And it's such a sad scene to see Cleo, you know get up alone and then wait for him outside the theater and he, he never shows up. Yeah. So should I keep going down like his line or should I bring up Antonio now? Oh, whatever you want, hon. You can just let okay, it I'm gonna. Okay. I'm going to keep talking about Vermin. Okay. Um. Yeah. So like he, he ditches her. But also, I don't know. Am I being too mean to him? Like he was saying, you know, how he grew up with his aunt he had nothing right. and he's trying to be better well i mean that's the thing i mean everyone has issues you know some people's situation might be more difficult than others but you know everyone's kind of has their own sob story or their own trauma that they experienced and that it doesn't give you an you know to, to lash out once or twice so you're having a bad day i think is one thing but to turn around and just kind of be a piece of shit like i don't think the fact that you grew up and had a hard life makes that excusable like it doesn't it doesn't mm-hmm. make it okay to treat people that way in my opinion yeah. And and he uh, was really no. his character was a POS. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was awful and just oh, yeah, no, I wanted to fucking kick him in the throat. I mean he freaking threatens her and their own kid, uh, he threatens to harm them if he if she doesn't leave him alone or whatever. It's one thing to be like you have to raise this baby on your own. I want no part of this. And to walk out of someone's life, it's something else to freaking threaten them and threaten their ch- their child in their belly. Like, holy shit, mm-hmm. you know? 
but that that was so scary mm. but um yeah so he kind of ditches her and she's like whoa what the heck you know like we're waiting with her and it doesn't like cut or anything i thought that was so beautiful mm. we just had to wait kind of like it goes back to the beginning in a way mm-hmm. it's just like slow and you're just you know a fly on the wall as you said right um yeah, but um, so she tracks him down. I think Is that the next time. Yeah, him, yeah. She, she threw his cousin and Ramon. like. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, Adele said you would help, so I think he, you know, because he likes that other girl, he feels obligated to be like, okay, I'll take you to where he practices or mm-hmm. where he trains. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was very scared that she was gonna fall into like mud stuff mm-hmm. she had to walk you know across like the planks of wood and stuff yeah. but um she ends up finding him and he yeah threatens her and his child but um so he kind of like he he does abandon ship but mm-hmm. she's she can't right yeah yeah so yeah he tells her you know to fuck off and yeah essentially uh, yeah <laughs> Yeah, and then the next scene, we see him. He's at the. I don't know if it was just like a children's, you know, store or whatever, like a baby store. It was a furniture store. Yeah, so this is like now late in the month of June. Um, so it was just like when Cleo's due to give birth. So she's very close to to like when she's gonna actually have this kid, and she's there with um the grandma from the home, uh, shopping for a crib at this furniture store. Furniture store, okay. Yes, furniture store. Um, and guess who we see? Vermin. <laughs> yeah, he's there, and he, he's part of the riots that are going on. Um, so that was actually a really, a real event that happened. Um, historically, is called. Um, I, I don't know if I'm going to say this correctly, but El Halconazo. And it happened mm-hmm. on June 10th of 1971 on the day of the Corpus Christi Festival. And there were a bunch of protesters and nearly 120 protesters were killed, including a 14-year-old boy, because um, of the, the El Halconazo, I believe, tra- translates to the hawk strike. And it's this, um, it was a government-trained paramilitary group. So it's like that scene in the movie where we see the all those boys, like teenagers and young men, um, training with like those long sticks and it's like the martial mm-hmm. arts that Thermine was um describing earlier in the film and then we see him training with all these guys and it's like so they're they're practicing martial arts and I guess it's I, I don't totally know the history behind it but at some point the government kind of like approached this group and kind of got got them trained to sort of to to go and kind of like fight against these protesters or whatever because i guess at the time mexico was trying to like get their democracy back or something along those lines again i'm not totally well versed in the history of it but it was a real event that happened in june so in the film quadon incorporates it to you know Mm -hmm. and i guess they're really like he remembers as a kid i think seeing like newspaper articles and like photos and he they were real the furniture store bit was real and he saw photographs of people in the store window like looking out looking terrified at what was happening so he that's why he inserted that into the film to like incorporate that real life event and it coincides with like uh, Cleo shopping for the crib at this furniture store oh thank you for sharing that information I looked into it a little bit then I got scared (laughs) yeah no it's it's a lot and it's like it's not like the main focus of the film but I think that's something really cool about what Cuaron does and he did this not to the same degree but a little bit in Itumama Tambien where there's kind of just these Mm -hmm. little real background like 
subplots not even the right word but just like these little like nods to like real historical events that were happening mm -hmm. or like political things that were happening at the time and it's like not the main focus of the film but it's just something in the background that like oh hey like at this point in time that we're getting this snapshot of like these people's lives like this this was also happening like just in the community and in, in the environment um so I think it's really interesting how he does that, but doesn't like, it's not like it's like a focused political film. It's just kind of like, oh, this was also happening at the time. It's just kind of in the background. And I think it's really cool the way he does that, incorporates that into his movies. Oh, totally. It's kind of like, yes, this is happening, but this is also still happening. Yeah. And it's just like more context for the bigger picture. And again, of it being like a snapshot of a place and time and the, and the events that were happening. Yeah. But um, going back to the department store, we see Vermin again. And you want to, what is he doing, Lolly? <laughs> well, he's part of that, you know, the 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 military, the paramilitary group or whatever, um, known mm -hmm. as Los Halcones. Um, so, yeah, he was there causing trouble, being part of that riot and being violent and waving yeah. his, his stick around and I think he even has a gun I think right in the furniture store yeah, he does have a gun it was intense and then he comes face to face see, with they, Cleo yeah they see each other and he like literally has his gun pointed at her like what the fuck he's she's carrying your child you have a gun pointed at her head like holy shit yeah that's like the last we see of him but that was just like whew, escalated yeah, and that trauma of that whole event, you know, and probably mm -hmm. having the gun waved in her face. And then we see that her water breaks. Yeah, and it all ties in. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we begin to transition to her delivery scene of the baby, which is a whole mm -hmm. other, like, heartbreaking scene to watch. Um, because as we find out, she actually loses the child. He, he's, or excuse me, she's stillborn. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a really tragic, emotionally impactful scene. Yeah, and... Um... Cleo, uh, the actress. Mm -hmm. I have her name. Yalitza. Yalitza, thank you. Um, uh, she didn't know that the baby was going to be stillborn, I was reading. Yeah, so sh she thought there was going to be, like, a live baby hidden under that they were going to bust out to get her to, like, react to, right? Yeah. And it was, like, the opposite. <laughs> yeah, that was... It was so hard to watch. Also, I think it was important to include. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, and he got her real reaction, you know, because she was she was expecting the scene to kind of go one way and that she was going to have this kid. And she thought they had the surprise was going to be like, oh, surprise, here's a newborn that's like crying and whatever. Mm. But no. And the, so it was literally in the scene, like you said, when, she, you know, the, the other the doctor actor comes over and is like, I'm so sorry, like we did what we could, but your baby didn't respond. And here you want to mm. say goodbye. And like, yeah, so her reaction to that and this the stress, it was real, you know, she was not expecting that. And uh, it comes across as just as so authentic. And because it was, in a way, really an, an authentic reaction to discovering that, okay, yeah. the, the baby doesn't survive. You know, and even as an actress, or like, again, she, it's, she wasn't actually like a trained actress, you know, even though she is acting in this film. So, you know, mm -hmm. she's probably really kind of just immersed into this role. And I'm sure it all feels very real that she was going to whatever place to like give her performance. And I'm sure it was really like tragic and heartbreaking to like ha have that experience e even though you're an actor you know playing out a scene but I'm sure it all felt very real and it, it definitely comes across as such at the very least totally yeah and um 
two different things I want to point out. And she was when she was on the elevator to go to the room to give birth, mm-hmm. Antonio was there. Oh, right. Didn't go in with her, but he was like, oh, hey, like, hold my hand. You're going to be okay. Yeah. So we see him again. And then um, I forgot Sofia's mom, Senora. Yeah, the abuela. The grandma. Yes. Um, she took um, Cleo to the hospital. And the nurse was asking her, like, the details. Like, oh, how old is she? You know, when's her birthday? Like, who are you? What's your relationship? Like, that was so sad. She didn't know any of those things. Right. Yeah, she had no idea. And it's just because they happened to be shopping at the furniture store when she went into labor, you know. So it was kind of a fluke. And she didn't have, you know, maybe if it had been Sophia there who had taken her to the doctor and had a little more, like, information. But it just happened to be this set of circumstances where it was the grandma who just, yeah, she was she was clueless. Yeah. Oh, I was also wondering, like, with Sophia, like, would she have known? And I feel like she would have known some of the answers but not all of them it brings up that you know relationship like Mm -hmm. barrier Mm -hmm. barrier maybe that's not the right word that um relationship line like oh is she family or you know like like the weird gray area if you don't know Mm -hmm. like employee employer type thing yeah so that's a note that I had. Yeah, but also going back to Antonio, we see him at the movies and um, mm. you know, the grandma and the grandma take the two older boys. Yeah, yeah they, were, they so run sad. into him like on, on the street with like fooling around with his mistress, basically. Yeah, so I wrote down that he got his second wind. He was like acting like not that you can't be fun, but just like, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. He just got his second wind. <laughs> As, like, you know, Sophia's fucking yelling and hitting people. Right. <sighs> yeah. So I fell in love with the kids. Talked about the guys. We talked about music. Something I, I wanted to bring up, or just, like, touch on briefly, is um, Quaron's humor. And his boldness, which I really appreciate. Um, So in this particular movie, Roma, like definitely it's really more of a drama. But that being said, there's definitely like some moments of comedy and just kind of like subtle humor, which I kind of think of as such like take a movie like Itumama Tambien and like it's freaking hilarious. Like there are so many funny bits in that movie that I love. So many cheeky funny bits. Um, And again, like that doesn't come through quite as much in Roma, but there is definitely a few scenes, like just for example, like the whole ongoing uh, drama with the car, right? The galaxy, which is just like (laughs) huge ass car. It's wide Mm -hmm. and it's long. And we, you know, we get the scene initially of uh, what's the husband's name again. Is it Ramon? Antonio. 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 Thank you. He's, you know, the first time we see him like coming home and he's like pointing to <laughs> the driveway and the mirror starts to kind of scratch on the wall. So he's like, all right, let me, let me back up the car and then like refinagle my way in. <laughs> so there's that. And then later when Sophia's like, after he's left and she's mm-hmm. attempting to drive the mm-hmm. galaxy and she's like on the street, she's driving along. You can see she's nervous. She's stressed. And she's like, pew, pew, and, like trying to just like make her way down the road. 
and there's like this big truck on one side and this like other car or something on the other side and like she thinks she can like fit between them or whatever but she's in this giant car and she basically like gets yeah. herself stuck and she's like oh should i back it up like it's so she's ridiculous so cute. she's like clutching to the steering yeah. wheel oh my god yeah and then later in that it's other adorable. scene when she does come home drunk which i mentioned and she, and she talks to clay mm -hmm. about you know estamos solas and all that that's it's also yes. it opens up in a really funny way because and that's the whole thing like we realize later that she's a bit tipsy and like, oh, no wonder, because as she's trying to pull the car into the driveway, like, she's full <laughs> she on scraping. She's scraping the sides, the mirror's oh, yeah. breaking off. She totally fucks it up. And she's just like, all right. She parks and like crawls across the, pas the passenger seat to get out on the other side. That's the only where there's room to even get out of the car. And like, it's just freaking hilarious. And like, I love that. I love funny. Guaron's humor yeah. and the way he incorporates it into the movie and like these subtle ways, but like, it's still really fun. Funny. or even like so I mentioned his boldness so I want to point out that in his films he's not afraid to show full frontal male nudity yes. which I think is Correct. awesome and like I don't I, oh, I don't yeah, mean it, it in a pervy way I mean I mean you no, know like, I you agree. know I can be kind of a perv but in this case like it's not about that it's more about just like no. the freaking double standard right in Hollywood yes. like you're always seeing women's yes. tits and asses oh oh, and yeah. everything mm -hmm. really but it's like oh yes. god forbid you show a penis or even a male butt sometimes and it's like People are up in an uproar about it, but it's like he's not afraid mm -hmm. to fully embrace it. I mean, if anyone's seen Itumama Tambien, there's a lot of both male and female nudity in that, and mm -hmm. like there's so much realism to it, you know. And particularly with that movie, it's, it's like a coming sexual. of age story, so it's it's like relevant. Yeah, and even in this case in mm -hmm. Roma, we have the scene with Fermin, and it's after this we don't actually see the lovemaking between him and Cleo, but we cut to a scene that's like an immediate, like, oh, they just had sex. Like, she's in mm -hmm. bed. They're kind of having, I guess, what you could sort of say pillow talk, even though he's kind of, you know, he's up and he grabs like a shower curtain rod, and but he's buck naked, right? And you, you mm -hmm. see his junk, like it is on display, but it's not just for the sake of it. Like, there's a point and the point is the comedy because it's like, they've just shared this like intimate experience, right? <laughs> yes. And then and he's, he's like, all right, I'm going to grab the shower rod and I'm going to show you my martial arts now while I'm mm -hmm. totally naked. And he's doing his whole, like, you know, choreographed stuff with, you know, hi, and, a hi, and he's like moving the stick around. And this is probably not going to translate as well to audio, but especially if you've seen the movie, you know the scene that I'm talking about. And he's like doing his thing and he's doing all his moves. And he's like, you know, standing at attention and like popping his arms. And the whole time, like his wiener is just there dangling around as he's like Up striking these poses. But like, it's freaking funny. And that's the point mm -hmm. that he's like naked and that like they're being intimate. And she's just kind of like, like, uh, like trying to be like, okay, she yeah, giggles. like that's cool. She yeah, and he's just like showing off his like moves mm -hmm. and like, oh my god, I think it's so funny and just I I love those kinds of moments and the way uh, Alfonso Cuarón is a filmmaker is not afraid to kind of like push some of these boundaries and these limits, but like it's never in oh, a yeah. frivolous fashion. There's always like a point to it, whether it's relevant to the story mm -hmm. in some way or whether it's for a comedic effect. Um, and I just think he does it so beautifully, and I really appreciate that about him. No, thank you. That's great. I yeah. So Ron, I'm sure, I'm sure Ron, Guti, and Ismail are gonna be listening. Um, penises. We need more penises. I agree with Ron. Yes. More, 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 more cocks in film, please. <laughs> please yes. and thank you. Uh, <laughs> more yeah, cock. More cock. Yes, and not in a sexual manner, but just like it's just a penis. Like, and I think. 
also like I think it's because you know they're not American and they're not like prudes. Right. So yeah. We, we are pretty uptight here in the states, aren't we? So yeah, I don't know. I think we've probably each given a few points, more or less. Should we get into any like honorable mentions or just other things we want to uh, point out before we start to wrap things up? What do you think? Um. Whew, okay. Uh, the taxidermy that was interesting. Oh, was a lot of dogs. Yeah, mixed feelings about that. <laughs> I kind of love the yeah. idea of like commemorating your, your pets because they're like their family and these animals that lived in the house over time. But then also like there's something a little bit creepy about taxidermy to me, you know, to each their own. But I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the kind of decor I would love to have in my own home, dis- despite how much I like love my animals and value my dogs as family and that sort of thing. It's an interesting yeah. choice. <laughs> it was a lot of dogs on the wall. It so was. Okay. And then, like, the dog licks her hand. And then, yeah. <laughs> like, her expression was like, oh, you're going to be there one day. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, you're speaking about his humor. Um, mm-hmm. When they were in La Hacienda and there's, like, a bunch of families and they're in the woods. Oh, yeah. And then Bosque and um, La Gringa mom yeah. was like, oh, you're wearing like a mini skirt and like platforms. Come on. We're in the wild. I yeah. thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, OK. And then there was a party going on before the fire. And there's mm. like the baby bottle, like amongst the booze. I thought oh, that was yeah. funny <laughs> and like super, super Latino, like. I remember growing up and going to parties and like the babies in the stroller, like in a corner asleep, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Or like like, being the the toddler, like on your grandpa's lap as he's like chain smoking (laughs) cigarettes, like in your face. (laughs) Giving you booze. Yeah. Um, I love that. Esperame tantito. That made me think of my mom. Um, I think these are just quotes that I have. I hope that's okay. Of course. Oh, um, when Sophia was at the party and her friend came up to her and he was trying to like touch her and com- comfort her right and she like Quote tells unquote. him like no yeah <laughs> comfort <she's>... her <laughs> yeah and he's like oh you're like not hot anyway blah 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 and it's like fuck so you like rude. way to deal with the rejection you asshole yeah and he was um, just borracho and trying to take advantage and yeah. I'm glad she, you know, put him in his place and whatever. And she was even, like, polite about it. And he was just, like, a jerk mm-hmm. with his response. Um. Oh, the drinking. Oh, just have a little bit, you know? Like, you can have a little bit, just a taste. Mm, yeah, yeah. And um, her friend was trying to get her to drink alcohol for New Year's Eve. Right. But Clea was pregnant. She's like, it's not good for the baby. But she's like, oh, a little bit won't hurt. <laughs> yeah. So I kept thinking how, like, it kind of seems like Clea, like, everything sucked. Mm-hmm. Right, but that's also part of life. There's seasons where like everything just fucks, and um, oh wow, like this broke, or like oh I got alcohol mm-hmm. on me, or there's a fire, and I don't know, like those little things. Mm-hmm. And then like we'll wrap it up like at the end, but 
Well, and that scene you're talking about, like the New Year's when, you know, her friend is trying to be like, yeah, just have a little bit and we'll toast to the New Year and just a little sip won't hurt the baby or like whatever she's saying. So Cleo agrees and they're going to do this toast, right? But then nearby there's like a couple like dancing a cumbia or something or other and then she accidentally like bumps into Cleo right when they're about to like do the toast and drink and like the, the glass gets knocked out of her hands and it like shatters on the floor and her friend's like, oh, don't worry, we'll just pour you another one. But there's like that brief moment where the, the camera kind of lingers on Cleo's face and you can see yes. that she's kind of just emotionally distraught at you know they're about to toast to the baby's health and which is what her friend said mm-hmm. to the baby's health or something mm-hmm. like that and then the glass gets knocked over and broken and like it's actually the first time that I that I caught it that it registered that I'm like that's foreshadowing this is like right now yes. telling us <gasps> like a yes. bad omen that like that baby's health is not going to be okay and I mean it's not because the the glass got knocked over or maybe it is I don't know but definitely it was like the foreshadowing absolutely and I was just like oh yeah. man I never noticed that before but like right now like they're they're telling us like yeah that baby's health is not gonna be okay you know and we can see it on Cleo's face mm-hmm. when she's looking at that that broken glass and the, and the alcohol on the uh, floor and it lingers there oh when like she's at the beach with the kids mm. and um she saves them Yes. Go a minute. I'm sorry, no, but she's good. like, saying like, oh hey, you know, like I didn't want her to be born. I didn't want her to like. I didn't want her talking about her baby. Yeah. Um, like that. I was. Oh my goodness. Like I. Like, so we see all that foreshadowing, and then like she admits to that. Right. Like there's kind of like peace in that moment, mm-hmm. or like clarity. Like it's. Yeah, yeah. That I definitely wanted to bring up um, that incredible beach scene at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, just the look of it, and again, watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. Like again, it was all by choice. Like Guaron was like, "Well, let's wait a couple more hours to actually film it because then the sun will be lower." And like mm-hmm. he knew, ex- like he has an actual background in still photography, and like so he knows a, a lot, knows a lot of the intricacies of like when to shoot and how to get the right light and contrast and like things like that. Um, and yeah, so he was like, "We'll do it a couple hours later when mm-hmm. the sun's lower in the sky," and then we end up getting that really beautiful scene, like like you said, after she mm-hmm. saves the kids and they're all kind of like walking back to the shore to the sand and some of them kind of walk in front of the sun and we get just kind of like these glares and flashes of like the sunlight or the sunset or whatever behind them and it looks absolutely incredible the look of it and then also the sound with the waves which again like so much care was put into like the timing and just the right sound of those waves and how the like the volume starts to increase when she's like wading out into the water to get them and she's actually in it so then like the sound mm-hmm. is designed to make you feel like you're really like there in the water and then how it changes yes. when oh they go gosh. out and yeah and then just when they do get back to the shore and kind of like collapse together with the children safe just those mm-hmm. intimate moments captured of like Cleo mm-hmm. on the sand with the family and the love and the appreciation like shared between them it is really just like the crux and the climax of this film and it's it's so fucking beautiful yeah and that's when i feel like it kind of wraps up like all the bad stuff she like admits to herself and like you know to sophia and the kids like what's been eating her up yeah. there's that freedom and peace that comes with it she can share that with them and kind of let go of it and and let yes. go of her shame or whatever Oh, yes. And then the next scene is, like, Sophia driving them back home, and, like, the kids are cuddled up with Cleo, and it's like, I love you, and I love you, too, and it was just so beautiful. And then, like, you can, when she's going up the steps at the end, like, I just feel like, oh, 
she's like over it. She's in a better place. Everything's gonna be good. Yeah, and she's still there with her family, essentially. You know, like yeah, like for better oh, or for worse, their family. It's so beautiful. Oh my goodness. Oh, I do want to touch on. Um, yeah, it's vacation. So after Cleo loses the baby, she's really depressed, and there's that scene where she's sitting, just looking out. You could just feel how sad she is. Yeah, like the weight that she's carrying. Yes, yes. So the mom's like, oh, we're going to go on vacation and Cleo can come. And you don't, you're, we're not going to make her work. But of course, like, right. she ends up working. Yeah, she, it's like her natural, like, instinct to take care of these children. Yeah, so it's like another line. Like, oh, should you cross that line? Should you not? But Sophia, like, wants to cheer her up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know, it's so hard. Um, I will yeah. say, like, I was a nanny for a bit, and I am still in touch with the kids, even though they're yeah. taller than me. <laughs> yeah, and, like, the parents, like, we still chit-chat. Oh, that's and it's so like, great. I'm so grateful. Yeah, it's love so that. sweet. Like, I love them so much. And this is, like, over a decade ago, and we still, like, chit-chat, which is Aww. rad. So, like, I love that. Um, Yeah, so when they go on vacation... Right, and Sophia's holding it together, and it's like it's gonna be an adventure. She's telling the kids the truth. Right, they're crying, they're sad. Yeah, she finally um, tells them about their father and how he, he's not coming back and all that. Yes, and they went away, so he grabbed their stuff. Which, like, who the fuck leaves the books and takes the bookshelves? I don't <laughs> understand. So weird. <laughs> Maybe some oh. of the books were his, but not all of them. So that's why he left some. I of them. don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like, weird. <laughs> I want to also kick Antonio like in the throat. But also, yeah. he was so sweet to Cleo in the elevator. But even that was kind of, like, fake and half-assed. Because it's like, he was like, he runs into her and he's like, oh, are you okay? Hold my hand, blah, blah, blah. And then he's like, oh, I'd go in with you, but the doctor won't let me. And the doctor's like, oh, you can come in, blah, blah. And then he's like, oh, well, I have an appointment. Like, all, like, hurriedly. Like, he didn't really want to go in. He didn't want to be there for her. He was just trying to put up a front and act like he cared. And then he made excuses instead of really, really going and being there to support her throughout the actual, like, birth and everything so he, he's just mm. thumbs down for him in my opinion oh i didn't think about it that way yeah i mean the, you know, again like the fact that he's like yeah i can't go in there i'm not allowed in and the doctor's like no you can come and he's still but then he's just like still making excuses it's like, he's like oh have, okay yeah no i can see it, that he's kind of being like a little bit fake you know like trying to act like he cared but mm. not really willing to follow through and be there for her really beyond a few <laughs> like kids, sentences in the burn. elevator exactly okay that's true yeah any more honorable mentions or you think we pretty much covered it i mean i'm sure we could go on for hours and hours there's so much to unpack but is there anything Um, else you want to mention before we wrap it up um i thought it was really cute when Bill was like hanging up the laundry to dry and the little boys were playing you know oh yeah they're like oh estás muerto no puedo estoy muerta and it's like (laughs) You're not allowed to be dead, Cleo. <laughs> like, the men in the movie are kind of like, fuck the kids, fuck everything. Yeah, like, we're just oh, going to do whatever I'm we not... want. Yeah, but the women are, like, carrying that. Yeah. Um, The joy around them when you're feeling empty. Oh, okay. So that was the scene when, after she tells, Sophia tells the kids 
that like their dad's not coming back and stuff and then they're outside eating that ice cream and everyone's really sad and crying and then someone's getting married behind them oh i know that was brutal mm-hmm. so i wrote down the joy around them and that they're feeling empty they're kind of like getting this devastating news and Sophia's miserable, you know, I mean, she's not showing it, but we know she is, you know, and uh, yeah. oh, they totally. have all that wedded bliss and joy around them. And the juxtaposition of that is really impactful. Mm-hmm, that contrast and you can like feel it and it's like, oof. and he you know, did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, I think that's it for me. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think the only other thing that I have worth noting at this point is, um, you know, there there is a lot of uh, tragic events, or there are a lot of tragic events that happen in this movie. You know, obviously, Cleo loses her baby. Sophia gets abandoned by the husband. Like, all of these things, you know, when the, the kids get this news and how devastating that is for them. And so there's definitely a lot of tragedy and sadness and, and pain. But, you know, despite all that being a part of this film and integral to it, it's not like it necessarily ends on a downer, you know, even though, yeah, she's telling her kids, your dad's not coming back. But like you said, she's trying to like kind of stay upbeat and say it'll be an adventure and we're going to get through this and we have each other, you know. And even with Cleo, when she finally admits like, oh, I, I didn't want the baby or I was hoping, you know, something would, would go wrong. And the, but obviously she felt very devastated when, when she did lose the baby and all that, and, you know, and the pain mm-hmm. surrounding that. But, you know, despite all that stuff. At the very end, it's like they still have each other. Like Cleo has this family. She loves these kids. These kids absolutely adore her, you know, and and even Sophia, like she has her stressful moments and things like that. But she also very much cares about Cleo and takes care of her as, as much as she can, you know, and they all kind of have each other. And like, that's kind of how the film ends, you know, when, when they when they do go home from this vacation, you know, and things kind of mm-hmm. go back to normal or, or in this case, kind of the new normal, you know, the kids are kind of like mm-hmm. when they get home and the dad's moved to stuff out and they kind of switch rooms around a bit and all that stuff and Cleo kind of starts mm-hmm. to get back to her duties and I think the closing scene is her like either taking some laundry upstairs or like she's going back up to her room or whatever mm-hmm. but it's kind of like this uplifting like she's going to be okay the family's going to be all right they have each other and despite all this hardship that they've been through it's like they're going to keep going and doing their thing and taking care of each other and it kind of ends on that sort of subtly uplifting moment and it's mm-hmm. it's you know like I just I love that it's kind of despite all the pain there's still sort of this like happy or at least hopeful ending and I, I really appreciate that about the film as well yeah no I yeah it's so good I love this movie I um, know I know it, for, it's five stars from me five banger hands down I freaking love it <laughs> what about you stars what's that Six stars. <laughs> All the stars? Six stars. Did you say six stars? And penis. Six stars. And Bonus penis. star for penis. <laughs> Love it. Um, but yeah, so that's that's Roma. Alfonso Cuaron, the king, El Rey. Love him. He's amazing. He makes incredible films. I have, I have so much respect for him as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, no, I was... His accent's also very sexy. Oh, he's he's a very sexy man. I think he's in his early sixties, but like, he's freaking hot. <laughs> oh no, he is. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I was watching the extras, you know, that Road to Rome and whatever else is on the Blu-ray, which, you know, that's probably a few years old. So he was maybe still in his 50s at the time, late 50s, maybe. But I'm like, this is a good looking man. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. so talented. Wait, Yoli, am I getting that DVD? I think so. <laughs> yeah. And hmm. this movie's part of the Criterion um, it collection, is. right? It is. Yeah. yeah. As it it's should be. a beautiful be. film. So again, this was this has been the real Latinas takeover. We don't have any mail or feedback because I don't think anyone you know beyond the real Latinos host knows that we're really doing this. It's it's maybe sort of a surprise. I'm not sure they're gonna slot us in somewhere <laughs> on their on their latest season. Um, but just huge thanks to Ron and to Ismael and to Guti for inviting us to come on and talk about this incredible film. Um, I had so much fun talking about it with you, Ev. This has been so cool. Me too. I'm so sorry. That <laughs> no, why? Talked at the beginning. Um, no, you're you perfect. You want to do overs? We can do do overs. Um, but no, thank you so much. It was so much fun. I was really <laughs> nervous, but it's like, wait, no, I I got this. You know what? I was honestly, I was having so much anxiety and I was so nervous today too. And I mean, you know, I have my own podcast that I do. So it's like, it's not that it's totally new to me, but I think just the fact that I respect what the real Latinos are doing so much, Mm -hmm. just shining a light on Latin Mm -hmm. American films. Like, I love that. I love their podcast. And, you know, I, I love these three guys. Like, the more I get to know them and spend time with them, they're wonderful human beings. And I think on some level, I was like, I don't want to let them down. Like, I want to do and, – and this film, too, it's so incredible. I'm like, I want to do justice to this film, and I want to do a good job for, you know, for Ron and Guti and Ismael. And so it made me, like, so nervous about doing this tonight because I'm like, I don't want to fuck up. I don't want to have computer problems or, like, just I hope nothing goes wrong and yeah I was kind of a wreck today too honestly as much as I was looking forward and excited to do this like I was freaking out too (laughs) so you are not alone girl (laughs) okay oh well thank you for guiding you've done freaking amazing considering this is like your first ever podcast recording like holy shit you're a natural (laughs) don't laugh thank you I will accept that thank you so much you know why because I feel like you're just you're so open and willing to like speak your mind and be vulnerable even about like your feelings and emotions and again it's that authenticity coming through and I think that's really what makes a good discussion a good conversation a good podcast so I mean it when I say like you're a natural because like that stuff is coming naturally to you and you're able to just like share and be open about it and that's what it's all about I think so well done stay tuned for next week's episode of real latinos and yeah just thanks for listening have any closing thoughts um no uh just like thank you so much to the guys and to you like thank you for trusting me and i hope i uh didn't fuck this up thank you so much thank you and thank you for listening everyone who's listening this has been the real latinas takeover adios adios Agradezco tu mentir por haberme hecho sentir que me amas, que me adoras y que piensas mucho en mí.